I wanted to take a minute to say thank you. I'm filled with gratitude after a month of doing this podcast. I can't believe how many of you are tuning in. And thank you for your feedback. The response has been overwhelming. I've been lucky to kick it off with some good friends, and I'm hoping to grow the guest list with a bunch of great people from backgrounds and experiences of all kinds. Thanks for your help sharing the show with your friends and followers. I'd love your thoughts. Who would you like to hear me interview next? You can reach me via Instagram at Max Wassler. That's at M-A-X-W-A-S-T-L-E-R. I'd also like to take this time to encourage all Americans listening to this program to register to vote and then educate yourself on the candidates running and be sure to vote on or before Tuesday, November 3rd. It's your right as a citizen. Lauren Yates is the designer and creative director of Women's Wear, an independent brand for hard-hitting women. You may also know her from her blog, Ponytail Journal, from her excellent cooking videos on YouTube, her podcast, The Ponytail Show, and from her time writing for Vogue Australia. Lauren, welcome to the No First Podcast. Hello, Max Wassler. It is so nice to be here. I'm just laughing because like, there's this mutual like happiness to be in this space together right now. Yeah, it's so great. And for those of you just catching up with all of this stuff, Lauren and I are doing a bit of a pod swap. I was on her podcast, which she calls yeah. Ponytail Journal. The Ponytail Show. I'm sorry, the Ponytail on Show. On Ponytail Journal. On ponytailjournal.com. Yes. So there's, there's so many ponytails in my universe. There's no keeping up with all, all <laughs> the ponytails. <laughs> well, that's, that's probably a good thing, though. It makes you easily discovered. Yeah, and people, if people forget my name at parties, they just call me Ponytail. That's okay. <laughs> I'm cool with that. Funny. So where are you in the yeah. world today? Today, I am in Bangkok in Thailand, and I'm in my studio where we design all the women's wear collections. Behind me, I've got the whole Spring 21 collection on show because we've been doing our virtual zombie apocalypse showroom. <laughs> I've been just taking appointments from my studio and just showing people the gear via video call. It's not the same though. It's like, I know buyers, they want to touch and feel the product. They want to put it on and see how the fit is. But luckily, most of my customers are, are long-time customers. They know the product well. They know my silhouettes. They know my fabric, like my obsession with fabric. So yeah, I, I'm not expecting really any new customers this season. Can you spell women's wear for our listeners and explain a little bit about how it came to be? Oh, yeah. So women's wear is W apostrophe menswear. And it's a little term that I came up with years before I started the brand. I started using this word on my blog to describe my style, um, which is obviously like I'm a, a woman and I love wearing men's gear. I love Lewis Carroll and the way that he invents words that don't exist when you can't find that perfect word you just make it up and you use it in your vocabulary so yeah that's kind of what I did it just stuck on the internet when I was doing the blog people just started to use that hashtag and use that word to describe my unique sense of style so when I started the brand it was just a no-brainer and what did our buddy Liza Corsillo at GQ, what did she call you? Oh my God, I would never associate this with myself because I'm such a dork, but I'm so honored that Liza chose this title. She, <laughs> she called me the hottest thing in menswear on GQ. And I was like, wow, that is the highest, you know, that is just like, wow, me hot for, for, for one, like, Oh, come on. Does it come and doesn't go to two together? And then like, you know, you've modeled for years, haven't you? I know, but people who know me well know that I'm such a dog, like super dog. But anyway, yeah. So, so that's the best ones are right. Dork about the right things though. You have a lot of passion and a lot and many passions. And I think that comes through in, in your, ability to connect with people and the stories you, that you like to tell. And just from listening to your podcast, the vastness of the types of individuals that you're bringing on mm. and their interests, it speaks to your ability 
to see far Thanks. and to be empathic. You know, that's, it's really. Thanks, awesome. Max. My passions and my interests range far and wide. And I think that I get inspired by people a lot. And I think I don't care what you are doing. You might be a plumber, you might be an artist, you might be a chef or whatever. If you have that like obsessive passion and that spark for doing what you do and loving it, like that is special. doesn't matter what you do. That is something that's meaning. Yeah. So that's a good juju to, to, <laughs> yeah, totally. to energize myself. Totally. Yeah. I, the thing that I love about people that create chefs, mm-hmm. clothing makers, writers, filmmakers, artists, musicians, they put everything into it. Yeah. The things that matter to us really matter. Yeah. And especially like that obsessive quality is something that I think is really special. And it's something that you've put on display in a beautiful way. Speaking oh, of putting you. on display, so you're yes. in your studio and you're having these zombie apocalypse showroom shows. Yes. I've been through the process in person I think I've done a little bit of video just to show the quality. Um, I, I actually, sometimes I try them. I try pieces on to so, so that they can see the fit on me. Cause most of my customers, they've met me in person. They know my height and my sizing and how things would fit on me. And also this season, I actually, yeah, I put together a lot of swatch cards and like a little kind of gift pack, like a little, little kit for all the stores so that they've got the swatch cards they've got like the lookbook they can experience the universe of the new collection and we even put in little artisan made little handcrafted like wooden figurines just to support um the local artisans you know during this kind of tough time for people you know just just a little thing and people really appreciated it that's so special do you have one handy so this is the hand carved and hand-painted little figurine of a frog. Um, they're all painted in different colours, but the, the new collection is about Borneo. And, and in Borneo, there's the oldest rainforest in the world with the most biodiv- biodiverse ecosystem. And this little frog, I don't know if you'll be able to hear it. I'll hold it up to my mic. That's a frog sound. He makes a little frog sound when you strum his back. So, you know, playing that, I should do a recording of, of lots of like a frog orchestra and like just record it and just play it in the background. That would be so beautiful. It's a beautiful little bluish gray frog with a stick yeah. in his mouth that you pull out and then rub on the back of the frog and it makes that lovely sound. I love that. I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to my nine-year-old yet on the podcast, but she's making all these things out of clay, the inspiration that she's gotten through this time, she'll, she's just voracious. She's like Cezanne with his cutouts. Kids have the best perspective ever. It's pure observation, unbiased, non-judgmental perspective. And yeah, kids are always just such a joy to like, to look at. Yeah. Giving yeah. kids that autonomy to, to just have that space to create is incredible. I remember my dad, when I was young, my dad, he's always had his own business and it was a consulting business. And my dad would always ask me for my opinion whenever he was like doing a new design or he would ask me to name some of his new companies and just like giving that kind of agency to young kids at at a young age is like such I think that was a true gift that my dad gave me was like the confidence and just the free reign to 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 just invent random things from my head and he would just he would take that and use it in his real work you do that now yes I I see that all the time now you were explaining about the Borneo frogs I yeah. The, rain, the rainforest. I'm imagining that that level of inventiveness has always been with you. I always love making stuff. 
And it's funny because my parents, they claim that they're not very like artistic in terms of being able to make things with their hands. But I would say my dad is super artistic and my mom is to an extent, but they deny that. As a young kid, I'd make little paper cities with my sister. I was best buddies with my older sister who is two and a half years older than me. And we'd make little paper cities. We'd just be able to engage ourselves without any devices or TV or, you know, but I was so lucky to have such a good playmate. So we would just play and make stuff. Sometimes it would be kind of dark. We'd go to a a fair and we'd get some kind of like Halloween gift bag. And there was this, there used to be a guillotine that we got like a a pretend like finger guillotine that would like pretend to chop your finger, but then it would miss it. And we'd use that on our Barbies. So we'd like chop their heads off. And like (laughs) sometimes it got pretty dark, but um, I think just having my best friend as my sister and just playing playing all the time was like where that that started from a young age getting older like I loved Meccano it was this like set it was branded for boys but I I always wanted to ask for it for Christmas it's like this kind of like they're all different metal rods um, with holes in them they come with lots of different screws and you can make you can build things you can make like I made like a helicopter with a real um um turning um what do you call it what's the helicopter thing that turns blades propeller that's what the word I'm looking for um yeah like so I was always loving to make just make things not necessarily artistic but just build things and figure out how things work and maybe that's like a little bit of tomboy little more masculine thing in me I don't know who knows anymore but that's just who I was and I yeah. just I we still call, we, doing that. we called Meccano erector sets in erector sets the architecture of the thing I think mm-hmm. is one of the things that you have really brought to your storytelling ability, your ability Mm. to kind of take the building blocks of menswear and apply it to the women's silhouette, to the female silhouette, to a a woman's body. Thank you. I think that's, that's what that taught me. And then also like at university, that's what art school taught me. It's like all these lessons that keep repeating themselves throughout my life is like figure out how things work and then use that to make it completely your own. Where did you study? For university, I went to Sydney College of the Arts. And it was a campus in a mental hospital. No joke. It was literally an old mental hospital. All sandstone, like early settlement buildings, sandstone. There were dungeons with scratch marks all over the walls. I swear to God, I spent late nights working on campus by myself and it was definitely haunted. It or maybe seems, like it seems only fitting that the girl that would get the guillotine <laughs> would be interested in going to a school <laughs> with dungeons. Um, that was coincidence. Oh come on. It was good it was a good coincidence. Darkness is something that most creative people struggle with their whole life. And I, I think everybody, all of us every single being on this planet has has a dark side to them you know that's i'm obsessed with the idea of order and chaos that you know this idea that order and chaos um there's a fine kind of line between the two and you know we see order and this balance you know in nature in the human psyche in art in in politics in the economy, like it just keeps repeating itself in the universe, in, in, in science. So like, yeah, I think being, just being aware of your dark side and, and also embracing it sometimes and making friends with it is a really important part of the creative process. You know, a lot of the greatest comedians are super dark and their jokes are you know most of the time that they're, they're saying things that are so so taboo 
that they're so hilarious. The creative process, yeah, it's definitely a battleground. You mentioned comedians. There's a wonderful podcast called The Hilarious World of Depression, where comedians will come on and talk about their dealings with depression. It's part of what inspired me to start this. I listened to one of my favorite radio hosts, his name's Peter Sagal, talking about what he went through after his divorce. And it was a lot of similar things to to what I went through after a breakup. And it was super helpful. I found myself Mm. listening to that show over and over again, just because he's a genial, positive guy, somebody who puts himself out into the world every Saturday with our National Public Radio's game show. He hosts the game show wow. at National Public Radio, and he's so funny and witty and quick, and yet he has this... this yeah, those kind of people are the most effed up. <laughs> yeah. I, I wasn't going there. I wasn't that. going there necessarily, but, but I under... No, in a good way. In a good mm-hmm. way. You know, you need that, like, you need that weirdness to, to be so great at what you do and be so unique and and have yeah. that presence like you need that dark side to kind of you yeah you need to be aware of your dark side this happened to me when i was growing up was this very traditional asian mindset of oh suppress the dark side if you have nothing um good to say don't say it um you know anger is bad and you know all this kind of um messaging but growing up i had to actually kind of decondition a lot of stuff and and become friends with this angry crazy dark side of me um to to understand myself and i think that's the underlying thing is like being a creative person it's all about getting to know yourself and that's your your art process is is figuring out who you are that's why we're here. And that's exactly yeah. right. One of the things that I have to remind myself of a lot is you are not your anger. That yeah. you can't allow for it's these things to thing. consume you. Right. And yeah. and at the same time, embracing or acknowledging. Knowing it's there. The yeah. Yeah. If you squash it, if you suppress it, it's bound to seep out. Yeah. And, and it Oh, it comes it. out in ugly ways. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Something has been bugging me. Yes. Since I first encountered you, I am so baffled by your <laughs> your you're this you're this you're this like continent hopper and you always have a community with you. You all, it, it's like you have an entourage or a posse that like you and can find everywhere. I, I'm, so so you, I think your sister was for a time and, and may still be living in Los Angeles. You mentioned Sydney. You're in Bangkok now. You have, uh, I know you have deep roots in Paris as well. Yeah. There's the Vogue story. But Lauren, <laughs> where were you born? What was it like growing up? Were you, were you always a globetrotter or was this something that came about mm. at some point in time in your adulthood? I think a lot of people are so curious about that question. So yes, I was always a globetrotter because I was born in Hong Kong. Um, And the reason being was because my parents were both in the aviation industry and still my dad still is. Um, So my mom worked for Cathay Pacific, um, which is a Hong Kong airline and um even back in the 70s or late 70s i think or early 80s she was on the the safety video like when you get on the plane i think we had still have vhs cassettes of that somewhere in in the storage but you have to digitize those that's so cool amazing my parents met in hong kong that at that time in the the early 80s, Hong Kong was the place to be. Hong Kong in the 80s was, there was like an excitement in the air. People were doing business. um, People were making cool stuff. Even my buddy, Nigel Caborn at that time, he, he was making in Hong Kong. He tells me stories about his Hong Kong trips as well and really fond memories at that time. So I can only imagine that that was a really special place to be at that particular time. And um, yeah, I do need to mention that I am absolutely heartbroken about what my Hong Kong has become with the 
one country, two systems policy is really dissolving at our fingertips because of, you know, I honestly, I think China has taken advantage of the Brexit situation when the UK had too many like internal political issues to be bothered or concerned with um, their responsibilities um, offshore. And of course, the pandemic. So, you know, Hong Kongers out there who, any Hong Konger out there who's listening, like, I'm with you. Democracy in Hong Kong is dissolving rapidly. It already has dissolved. But anyway, moving back to my story, I was born in Hong Kong and then I moved to Thailand at a very young age. We had a stint in KL in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia less than a year. My dad, he worked in, yeah, the aviation industry. So we, yeah, we moved around a lot. Um, So Thailand, grew up in Thailand. And then when we were about, when I was about 10 years old or so, um, we moved to Sydney, Australia, which is where my eldest sister went to school. Then my middle sister and I, um, we went to the same school and yeah, so I did school and, and university in Australia. And that was a really incredible place to be a young person because compared to Bangkok, we had um, the freedom and safety to, to be ourselves and go out by ourselves and, and go out into the nature and, not, and be independent people. That was a really incredible place. And the nature in Australia is incredible. Like it's, I call it like paradise at the end of the world because, you know, it's such a beautiful, exotic place. There are beautiful beaches, some of the oldest cultures in the world. I think that's something definitely needing to be more acknowledged, you know, is the, the original Aboriginal peoples of Australia. They definitely need a lot more acknowledgement than they are given because I did feel Growing up in a very white Australia, the national identity was not in touch with its roots, kind of swept that under the carpet. And I hope, I do see some change um, happening now, which is really positive, but there's a long way to go in that respect. Um, So yeah, Australia. Then after university, I, I worked in Australia maybe a couple of years and I moved back to Thailand to retrace my roots as a Thai in Thailand. Then I met a Frenchman and got married and moved to France. Um, <laughs> so that's that's how the French connection is there. But yeah, so that's kind of a abridged version of my life. Yeah, and did you meet in Thailand? Yeah, we met in Phuket, which um, is mm-hmm. a famous beach in Thailand in the south. Beautiful beaches there. Uh, my husband is a music producer. We met at this like surfing um, event by Rip Curl. And yeah, he was there to play. I was there to surf. And there you go. That's that's so that's cool. The, that's the so cute cool. little story. I'm going to ask you something and you can tell me whether or not you want to talk about it. Are, are you biracial? Of course. And that's not, that's very nice that you, uh, were cautious about asking that question because most people just, um, you know, ask. I get asked that question daily. Yeah, my mom is three quarters Chinese and one quarter Thai, and my dad is by blood British, um, but he em- immigrated to Australia when he was 17. Back then, there was a, a scheme by the British government to populate Australia, so they were called the 10 pound palms um the 10 pound it was, so basically you could immigrate to to australia for 10 pounds and i think my my dad came from quite a poor working class family and his dad took that opportunity and it was probably the best decision that my grandfather ever made and i want to talk about um, why our family ended up in thailand because i think my mom's history is a big driving force in in my work as well my mom's family were Chinese. Um, my grandmother was from Beijing. They were a family of academics in Beijing. And then, you know, in 1949, the Cultural Revolution happened. My grandmother's family were threatened 
with death and so had to flee China and moved to, I think on the very last plane out of China, they moved, they got on and landed in Taiwan, um, which is where my mum was born. And that's what happened to a lot of Chinese people back in that era. My grandfather had some Thai family, so then they ended up moving down there. But my grandfather flew for Air America. Air America was part of the CIA. And that is why he was able to take my grandmother and her family on the last plane to Taiwan because he had that connection. Aviation has played a part, not just in your immediate generation, but in your mother's, father's life as well. That's fascinating. Yeah. There's this thing I want to understand, the melding together of East and West. Yeah, definitely that play between East and West, old and new. Yeah, definitely is something I'm, or masculine and feminine. It's like that order and chaos that I talked about before. It's like that weird fine line between the two. And I'm always jumping on either side and trying to balance on that tightrope. Sometimes it makes cool stuff and sometimes it makes not cool stuff. Identity is something I'm constantly thinking about as a designer. Why was I drawn to Americana and why was I drawn to military clothes? And I think I I was really interested, and this goes back to my grandmother's stories, I was always interested in why things happened and what were the outcomes of that happening. So why did Mao's Cultural Revolution happen? Why did the Cold War happen? Why did World War II happen? These are devastating things that we need to learn from and never repeat again. But what are some good outcomes that came from that too? The technological advancements for science that came out of the Cold War. And that's when we were able to map the ocean floor with sonar technology. When there's too much chaos, the scale has to tip to order at some point. So, God, I hope yeah, so. <laughs> it will. There, we must have faith. And I do believe in self-fulfilling prophecies. If we all take responsibility for, for what's happening and our understanding what happened in the past, that's how we move forward. And that's how goodness comes out. That's a deeper reason why I'm obsessed with this kind of vintage clothing and these sort of nostalgic practices. Yeah. But I'm going to cry. Yeah. I'm oh, le- don't le- cry. <laughs> legitimately hoping that you're right, that history has taught us anything. It's that the world bends towards justice. The world bends yeah. towards, towards positive. But we need to, but we, we need to take responsibility too. Like I'm really, I, I've mentioned this a few times in the last two weeks because I'm reading this book called Morality by Jonathan Sachs. He talks about how we've outsourced morality to government and corporation. We're not taking responsibility as a collective we anymore. We think it's a corporation's or a business's responsibility to voice political issues instead of us doing that ourselves or you know it's it's hard you know I'm nobody to say what's right or wrong I'm just this I'm just a random person but yeah I I do read a lot for my work and I do think that there is value in really having a deep understanding and a broad understanding of history of literature of just reading as much as we can watching as much film as we can, just exposing ourselves to as much outside our bubble as we can. I think that's what's going to make us a better society and more compassionate, empathetic society. Mm -hmm. Empathy can't happen if you're stuck in a vacuum. You have to get outside yourself, outside of your community, understand others who are nothing like yourself. And we are so entrenched in this country in a way that is proving to be immensely harmful. And 
the news that I watch and the information that I receive, it's becoming more and more difficult to hear the opposition, to hear mm. the other side because yeah. it's my, angry. Well, there's yeah. that naturally going in the direction of the confirmation bias that I mm. see. I, I, I know what I want to hear. That's right. It's comforting. It's safe. It's not going, it's not pushing yourself out into chaos. It's staying too much in order, which for example, when you have a a corporation that that stays too much on the the side of order, then something dies because you, you still, as we evolve and grow and live, we still have to push ourselves into the realm of chaos and that's really uncomfortable. And that's like that dark side that we talked about before of the psyche. We need to push ourselves into those uncomfortable spaces so that we can grow as people. Yeah. It's interesting. You say chaos, Josh Block, who was on the show last week with his wife, Lauren, a music producer Mm -hmm. himself was talking about, the crazy businesses are going to be the ones that survive this. Mm. That too much order, taking too the safe, safe room, Yeah. It, 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 you can save yourself to death. And, yes, for um, sure. That's what I think happens on the executive level is that when you are in a big organization and you need every, de- every decision, because it's on such a huge scale, every small decision is such a high stake that safety, that need for safety and sureness, it overrides that realm of exploration and, and inventiveness that is necessary to, to be the top. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get us back up to the surface by asking you again about your, your forthcoming clothing Swimming line. Up. Yep. <laughs> We're just, we're, we don't want to get the bends, so we're just going to kind of meander. <laughs> <Swim up. laughs> As we're going back up, I want to talk to you again about your clothes and understand mm. who was the first retailer to invest in you. Who is the most recent that you're most excited about? I started out from the very first season, I started out getting a distribution deal in Japan for four seasons thanks to my good buddy Nigel Caborn's Japanese business partner who had distribution called um, Outer Limits in Japan. So straight off the bat, I was in quite a few stores in all over Japan from Hokkaido down to Sendai. And that was really awesome to be handheld with really great people who really knew what they were doing. So we were exclusive to Japan for four seasons starting off that was a steep learning curve for me having just started the business being a first time small business owner and just figuring out you know how to navigate this weird fashion world then after four seasons i decided i was ready to venture out into the chaos into the rest of the world independently um, because i got that industry knowledge and I learned a lot in that four seasons in Japan so then I went out to I started Paris Fashion Week for a few seasons and still keeping my distribution in Japan and then I decided to go completely independent because at one point I decided that I'd like to be making all the decisions on where my product is placed and who's what stores I have a relationship with and then so I went completely independent and then I started doing New York Fashion Week as well and yeah I guess the stores that have been retailing my stuff successfully for a really long time they really love the product they sell it so well because they genuinely love this the gear And obviously that shows on their shop floor. And those kind of retailers have always been my favorite because they've always offered customers the most unique experience, retail experiences. And I think, I really think that those special, independent, unique retail experiences are what will triumph in this zombie apocalypse 
And I think a lot of mediocre shopping malls and department stores will really struggle because they're not thinking about experience enough. Well, I, I think I'd like to name some of my favorite retailers of women's wear. They're all favorites, but, but I'm just going to name a few that really stand out. So I would say Glasswing Store in Seattle, amazing store. If anyone's listening who's in Seattle, please go. There's Forrest and Elisa who founded Glasswing. And they are like serious buddies. Like that's the thing that, that happens in this business is you end up becoming great buddies with, with your retail partners. They have Brackish, Forrest Makes Furniture. They have Greenhouse which is their um, florist. They have Canyon Creek Cabins, which is their cabin out in the mountains that they do Airbnb. It's stunning. Everything they touch is stunning, but they really love, they are really creative people and they really believe in, in creativity and, and design. So they are special. They are special. I would also like to name... Manhattan in in Manhattan in New York who have the most incredible selection of the all the things you never knew you had to have they like you walk into their their space and it is just a universe of weird strangeness and beauty and then also Pilgrim Surf Supply in Brooklyn, Chris and Erin have this beautiful surf shop in Brooklyn. There's just such a great community that they've built around that store. Another store experience that is incredible is um, Envoy of Belfast, which is the best women's store in Belfast in Ireland. Um, they have the most incredible selection for women's only, which is, I think, in terms of the retailer who embodies what I do in design, they are like, they are doing that for women of many different ages. Other special retail experiences. Oh, yeah, got a shout out to the Department of the Exterior in, in Canberra in Australia. Canberra is like Washington for America. It's where all our parliament is. And so Susan, who owns the Department of the Exterior, which is, it's a hilarious name for a store in the government area of Australia, but she specializes in retailing to, to an elderly audience, like 60 plus. And she's selling, she's killing it at selling women's wear. And she said to me like, Hey, Lauren, I've really nailed the market for retired weird golfers um, with women's wear. Like we've really killed, we've really nailed that kind of customer base. I love retailers who really understand their customers and they really, they know them so well. And it's because they spend the hours on the store and they really, they love people. Uh, I think we're at the point in our conversation where we yes. get to talk about what's in your cookies this week. Oh, my cookies. Lauren, yes. I want to know, what is your favorite cookie? Okay, so it's double chalk chip with real good, like, Calibo chocolate chips, dark chocolate. And it's got, it's got sea salt and rosemary on top and, and some pine nuts. Um, and then like when I eat that chocolate chip cookie, it's got to be like warm. I have to have a glass of milk and I might even, this is getting weird here, but, but if you try it, you'll understand, pour some really extra, extra virgin olive oil in a little side dish and dip that double chocolate cookie into the olive oil mm. while I'm eating it. That I'm, is just amazing. I'm already there. I could sense some citrus as well would probably benefit. Oh, know, yeah. Also. That would be nice. Oh, that would be good. Yeah. We should start a cookie business. 
I'm ready. Yeah, let's Can, do it. You have been in full mode selling right now. I'm curious mm. what's keeping you going. What have you been reading, watching, listening to? What mm. have you been encountering? What's in your digital cookies this week? Mm, very interesting. Yeah, so I've been, I'm moving studios. Like oh. after this, after this um, week, I'm, I'm going to be in a new space. So I've been actually packing a lot of stuff amidst selling and doing my accounting. So I've been sorting through a lot of old CDs and cassettes. So there's been a lot of like amazing early 90s gems in there. You know, SWV, like, yes. you know, just just like the, the real, like, real beautiful, like late 80s, early 90s, mid 90s classics and i've been playing this one track by by nine and it's called what you want and i've just been playing that track over and over again because the drums of that track are just so good it's like a snare it's just so typical of that era of like probably 93 and it's real bouncy it's got a real good vibe like yeah it's just it's good it's good music to to jive with well, okay. So, what else? What else is in your cookies this week? Um, what else is in? So, so I, I've been looking at um three D scanning technology. Whoa. Um, <laughs> so I had this podcast with my friends Tin and Ed, who are artists from New York, and they're they're from they're part of New Ink, which is the New Museums Incubator, and they make. They make the most, so they scan, they 3D scan all their buddies around the world and they make these virtual dance parties with the 3D, with the 3D versions of all their pals. And then they combine, they morph the 3D renderings of their pals with things like slime mold, like just weird things from nature, certain bacteria or slime mold plants and then they have this really colorful crazy dance party and it's beautiful so they kind of got me onto 3d scanning and i was thinking oh for for my virtual showroom that moving forward if if the zombie apocalypse is going to be here for a while which it looks like it probably will be i should try and figure out this 3d scanning situation to get full 3d renderings of my clothes maybe me wearing my clothes maybe me fishing in my clothes maybe <laughs> me break dancing in my clothes maybe me shooting lasers out of my eyeballs in these clothes <laughs> so so i found yeah the incredible thing about being based here in bangkok is you can do anything in bangkok you can do whatever like there is bangkok is the most incredible place for a creative person so i found a spot that does this 3d rendering 3d oh. scanning so winter 21 that's gonna be what's up i was thinking actually wouldn't it be cool to see a 3d model of you fly so that maybe when you have a dream maybe if you saw yourself fly maybe you would be able to fly better in your dreams what about that I do think you're bringing up an excellent point that visualization is a very important part of the creative journey and having the notion of putting yourself into the space, even yeah. if it's in your mind is very mm -hmm. important, but to be able to do that virtually um, creates an entirely different experience for the mm -hmm. sensor, for the sensory modes. Yeah. It, there it, are so many incredible implications of what we're doing in technology for like the human subconscious. Yeah. What else has been in my cookies? Um, I've been looking at, oh yeah, the, so, so this winter 20 season that's just launched online and in the stores like um, this month, early this month, um, it's all about the secret war that happened in Laos during the Vietnam War. And it ended in 1975. And, and the CIA um, were participating in that war secretly um, using men in civilian outfit and guerrilla fighters. Um, they were using the mountain people called the Hmong people 
were were fighting like proxy fighters for the CIA. And so yeah, a lot of a lot of tabs have been open on my browser about that research that I did a year ago when I was when I was, you know, developing the collection. And now that that now that, that collection is has a life and it's alive and it's out, um, yeah, I'm i I'm deeply revisiting everything to to kind of bring back a lot of that. What was it in the story? History. What was it in that story that you felt like you could pull from and then imbue into your clothing stories? It started because I actually have a really close friend who's now in her early 40s who was an orphan Hmong girl as a child. Her family fled Laos, the hills of the mountains of Laos, and they had to cross the Mekong River to Thailand to seek refuge when America lost the war because they were being pursued by the Patet Lao and the Viet Cong, who would kill them on the spot because the Hmong people fought for America. My friend lost both her parents and a sibling while crossing the Mekong River in the middle of the night because they're, they're mountain people. They can't swim. They're not used to fast-moving water. It's pitch black at night. There are armed people patrolling up and down the river who will shoot them on the spot. It was a very important story that the West, that is not in the forefront of Western history, which the West is completely responsible for. At the same time, I don't want to be telling Hmong people's story for them. So there is a very fine line. I'm simply acknowledging that this happened and I'm honouring their incredible sacrifice and their incredible diaspora and displacement as a result of war. There is a book called... The Spirit Catches You and You Will Fall. It's an account of a, a Hmong family who were placed in the west coast of America after they were in a refugee camp in Thailand for a long time. Their youngest daughter has epilepsy and the book is basically about the real huge cultural barriers that they encountered when they came to America and had so many issues with their epileptic daughter, with the hospital system and being, and, and kind of being accepted into a completely new um, society and all the hardships that came with that um, and lack of understanding from, from outsiders of, of, of where they came from and what, you know, their struggles still today, the Hmong, people who fought for the CIA are not acknowledged as veterans Mm. um, in America. It's quite a heavy um, subject, but I do deal with a lot of heavy subjects like this in my collections. I'm not trying to like jam information down people's throats, but it's there if you're curious. Sure. That's, That's, yeah, that's the thing. It's always important to have a thesis when developing something that is Mm. going to be reflected in a physical way, a piece of canvas or a piece of clay or a piece of stone or Mm. a a garment. How how is this story manifesting itself in the physical space of what Mm. you're creating? What what are the actual items? Yeah. And, And is there one in particular that you feel like has the most of your hook in it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Actually, one of our hand-embroidered tiger hats was embroidered by my friend who I just talked about. And that comes from these, so Hmong people don't have a written language, so they pass history and culture and tradition down through many ways. But one of them is by these beautiful embroidered not quilts, but they're pieces of fabric that are very intricately Like a tapestry? Yeah, kind of like a tapestry. And so you'll find a lot of these pieces during that time not only have the traditional scenery and the beautiful plants and 
and animals that you would find in Laos at, you know, in, that were meaningful to their lives and traditions. But you'll also find soldiers with guns um, on these story cloths. And you'll find, like, you'll find pictures of kids running from tanks. So part of that is in um, the collection. There's hand-woven indigo fabrics are made on hand looms. There's a lot of military gear, like from that specific period, from 1965 to 75. It's all woven into the the collection, and it's been it's been really positive. Like people have really taken the time to appreciate it, which is yeah the best thing for any designer just to to experience that's that's the real juju that keeps you going okay if you were a cocktail what kind of cocktail would you be and why this is really this is really hard because i'm not actually a cocktail drinker i was a bartender once and i made cocktails so my favorite cocktail from that period was the whiskey sour because it just tastes so good mm-hmm. but my whiskey sour would be made with Thai moonshine, which is called Yadong. And Yadong is what like the taxi drivers would like stop on the side of the road and have a shot of this crazy moonshine. Sometimes they're like really interesting things in they're they're like made in these big jars. It's real like rocket fuel. And um one time I I used to have this little show called Cocktails with Ponytail in Thailand and it was sponsored by a magazine called Two Magazine. And we went to a bar that specialized in Yadong and I got really wasted on the shoot. (laughs) (laughs) And they showed the whole thing. It was really funny, actually. Like, it's kind of embarrassing, but I keep it up. It's still on the internet. It's hilarious. I also had like a really short fringe because I cut it too short. Just that period of time for me was like not my high point. Whose face would you like to see on the dollar bill? (laughs) basically any muppet but especially (laughs) especially the i don't know this is a more of an obscure muppet but i am in love with the astronaut worms um most people don't remember them but they were so cute and they they went to space and they wore silver and yeah i did a collection about space last year and i just really got into the astronaut ones awesome yeah what is yeah what is the first article of clothing you reach for in the morning well yeah i i am an exercise buff so it's normally workout gear i do like what's your preferred exercise i switch it up but it's always on my own i don't really do classes or anything especially nowadays you can't really do classes but um i always do high intensity interval training i do that three times a week and then the the other days i do like either yoga or pilates or swimming i'm very active what song motivates you there are so many because i love music but i'm just going to hone in on this week's song that has been motivating me and getting me dancing to myself um is um frida Payne's i get high the best song ever i get high i get high yeah it's amazing it's just so weird and the instrumentals in the in the beginning is incredible how do you define success i can only define success by comparing the version of myself today to the version of myself yesterday or five months ago or 10 years ago, whatever. I'm, I think we can't compare ourselves to other people cause that's crazy. It's like comparing apples and oranges. So yeah, if you're doing a bit better than you were before, a bit more mindful and, and a bit more caring of yourself and the people around you, that's a win. I'll take any win I can these days. That's probably what I'm going to come out of from this pandemic is like any win should be a huge celebration. 
Absolutely. Yeah. While you were saying while you were saying that about co- the comparative literature of the self, I'm thinking about a couple different things, and one of them is the Matthew McConaughey Oscar speech, where he thanks his future self and his past self for yeah. the state of his present self. And then I'm thinking about Martin Short has this report card that he fills out every Monday, and it has Amazing. to do with how am I doing as uh, in the self? How am I doing in the health? How am I doing with my family? His Those wife- are incredible tools. I think like one thing I've learned is that that doing that is an incredible tool. Also kind of like writing a map of your past and authoring a map of your future is an incredible tool to do. Yeah, there's so many tools that we should be using to, to get to know ourselves better. Yeah, I think that the- will make the world better. Place, yeah. A place. Yeah. Part of the inspiration for this podcast was understanding yourself and where you come from mm. and, and how you, how you orient yourself better yeah. propels you into what you can become, into what you want to do, into how you want yeah. to do it. And, and if you focus on both, your present becomes that much more present. Okay. So yeah. if you had achieved all of your goals, how would you feel? Well, first of all, I'll never have achieved all my goals because there'll just be new ones. I'll achieve one. There'll just be more waiting in line. To me, in my experience, life's just, there's been, there's always going to be something difficult on the horizon and that will, there'll be waves of them that keep coming. And sometimes like the waves are small and easy to, to paddle through and sometimes the waves are big and you have to do a penguin roll or sometimes because your board's too big or like, yes, sometimes you have to duck dive through them, but it's just, it's more like the fact that those waves are inevitable and they'll keep coming In and just being cool with that. Yeah. What is your motto? Well, the ponytail motto is funnest life possible. What did you get out of the time we spent talking to each other today? Well, now I'm hungry for cookies. (laughs) Um, But no, that was like a super nice conversation. It feels like I've been talking to an old, old friend and I really appreciate that. And like, that's what this weird internet thing is all about is like right now we can't make a community physically so the best thing we can do is make community by the internet. And I, I think it's pretty rad that we live in a space and time where we can instantaneously have these wonderful moments and conversations together in real time across the world. Like, you know, people complain a lot about the shit things that are happening in the world, but we live in an incredible time too. You know, don't forget that people. It's really true. Yeah. And as you were saying that, I was thinking about the similarities Bangkok and St. Louis, Missouri must have. (laughs) And while they're not many, there are two like-minded individuals who who dwell there, who live there. And that's wonderful. Well, Lauren Yates, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on my show. Thank you, Max Wassler. It is such a joy, as always, to chat with you. And thank you for inviting me on the show. My pleasure. Have a great day. You too. Bye, friends. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Lauren Yates. Look her up at womenswear.com and ponytailjournal.com. Tune in next week when my guest will be Ryan Martin of WH Ranch Dungarees. As always, remember to do your part to know first who you are so that you are better able to adorn yourself accordingly. You and you alone. This is the No First Podcast. The No First Podcast is a production of All Plat Out. Our theme song is That's Right by Pop Villains. Thanks to Marla, Stella, and Ruby. Stay safe, stay healthy, and know first who you are. Galump.
obviously it's a Lewis Carroll word. Lewis Carroll used a lot of like onomatopoeia to make his new words. And we actually do that in the Thai language. We use automatopoeia a lot. That's why Thai sounds like a song a lot of the time because there's a lot of, like, for example, the word for cat is mao. So that's probably why I can really relate to Lewis Carroll's, like, invention of these onomatopoeic words. But galumph means to move heavily and clumsy. And it's a blend <laughs> of gallop and triumph. How beautiful is that? That's perfect. Yeah. Well, thanks okay. again. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye.